0: Here, pga and lpga legends pros top instructors and media members from around the country sharing their stories insights and playing lessons every week right here on next on the t take it away chris
1: All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort Guest Line is Nick O'Hearn. Let me remind you about Nick's background. He is from Perth, Western Australia. He grew up playing baseball, tennis, and golf, turned pro back in 1994. He qualified for the European Tour on his first attempt through Q School back in 1998, and he played on the European Tour from 1999 to 2007, where he finished runner-up seven times in between 2003 and 2007. In 2004, he earned his way into the top 50 in the World Golf Rankings, finishing 45th that year. The following year, in 05, he shot all the way up to number 24 and was a member of the international team at the President's Cup, where he helped earn two points when he and countryman Peter Lonard Peter Leonard uh, defeated Davis Love and Kenny Perry in the Friday matches. And on Saturday, he paired with Tim Clark, and they defeated Fred Funk and David Toms. 2006, he reached 21st in the world rankings, and he won the Australian PGA Championship when he holed out, oh, by the way, from a greenside bunker to birdie the fourth playoff hole to def- uh, defeat, unfortunately, his uh, international teammate, Peter Lonnard. That season, he also had the best finish in a major, tying for sixth at the U.S. Open, and he won the Australia-Asia Order of Merit. Nick is the only player to defeat Tiger Woods in the World Golf Match Play event. He did it twice in 2005 and 2007. He's written a wonderful book called Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro, which you can find out on Amazon.com, and I am honored that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Nick. Thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Hey Chris, thanks for having me.
1: So Nick, want to get your thoughts? We got a lot of rules changes coming our way in January, and I saw your tweet where you said your favorite of those changes is caddies will no longer be allowed to assist in alignment. Curious to get your thoughts. Why is that your favorite one?
0: <laughs> oh, I, you know, there's there's a bunch of them that I think are my favorites, but that one just kind of caught my eye. I just it, it always fascinates me when a, a caddy standing there lining their own player up. I'm thinking, well, if you can't line yourself up, you shouldn't be playing this game. Um, You know, back from when I was a kid as a junior, it was all about how you were able to figure out how to play the game, you know, get the ball in the hole, how to line up to hit the ball down the fairway on the green, how to line your putts up. And then when you have someone else doing it for you, I think it just takes away from it. So that one for me just resonates really well because it it kind of drives me a little bit nuts, you know. And to, to be honest, I mean... I think they should almost take away the lines on the golf balls when people are putting. I think uh, it takes a little bit of the skill out of the game, and, and that's what this is all about.
1: And, Nick, what are some of the other changes? You mentioned, you know, hey, you like some of the others. That one just stuck out to you. What are some of the other ones you think are really good moves?
0: Well, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be in, uh, in professional golf, but I like the one for the amateurs where if they hit one out of bounds, you just – you know, drop one there and, stay, and take uh, stroke and distance. I think that's a really good rule change. Um, you know, the one where they're dropping from, I think it's knee high now, waist high, knee high, it really doesn't matter to be honest. Um, you know, just drop the ball wherever you think and whatever lie you get is whatever you get. In a, in a way, you can almost just say, well, have a preferred lie because if you're taking a drop, well, obviously probably bad things have happened anyway. So why don't you give yourself a... Uh, a, a bit of respite. Um, the one that does concern me is, you know, on the greens where you can uh, basically now pat down any any mark other than, I think, um, what is it, other than any natural natural fault of the green, So, you know, spike marks, p- pitch marks. But I think there's a bit of a, a grey area there where I think people will just start patting down everything. So that could slow down play again, which is a little bit annoying. You know, slow play has been one of my banes, I guess, throughout throughout my career I'm I'm I guess a fairly fast player so playing with slow guys has always annoyed me a little bit in in some sense so I do like the I do like the change from five minutes searching for a ball to three minutes you know that's going to speed play up again again so that's that's a bit of a favorite of mine but the RNA and all the golfing bodies they're just trying to you know make the game more enjoyable and more pleasurable for everyone so hopefully the rules will uh, will be uh, you know welcomed by everyone out there playing.
1: Nick, I want to talk for a brief moment about the Ryder Cup. And, and you posted a powerful video that was put together for the European team, for their players to watch prior to the matches getting started. And your comment was spot on. It's it's hard not to want to run through a wall when you when I watch that video. It's it, it To me, it just seems like the European team, their drive to win is a little bigger than the U.S. teams. Their talent isn't any bigger. But in my opinion, their focus you know, sense of playing for each other, ability to make really big putts just always seems to be better. What, what's your thought about why the Europeans have dominated and your thoughts when you watch that video?
0: Yeah, I mean, the video is just, you know, very special. I think the European tour does a fantastic job. Uh, social media wise, they're always coming up with some very unique concepts. You know, the Uh, Of how they go about promoting their tour and and, and this one in regards to the Ryder Cup I watched it and I had chills I mean it was like watching a a drama movie of some sort you know it was just kind of an an epic little short clip and it was just fascinating to watch and I I played a lot of years on the European tour so I know a lot of the guys over there and it's interesting you know Europe has definitely dominated the Ryder Cup you know over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever it's been especially obviously in Europe and and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first one being whenever whenever they play the Ryder Cup in Europe, the best thing or the best decision that they always do is, is they play a golf course that they play a tour event on every year. I mean, uh, the French uh, French Open is, was played at the Golf National. Obviously, every year I've played that course. So I know how difficult it can be. And you have to know the greens around there. I mean, going back previously, you had Glen Eagles, the K Club, Valderrama, Celtic Manor, you name it. All these golf courses, they play there year in, year out. So the Europeans know those golf courses. In the U.S., um, same thing doesn't happen. You know, they play places like, uh, what is it, Medina, and and I can't even name the ones over here because they, they play them very rarely, and maybe it's for a major or something like that. So obviously, you know, there's some financial uh, discussion going on with where they where they play the courses over here, but in in Europe that's that's a very very smart decision on their part. Um, the other side of the coin there is also the Europeans and you know why why do they gel so well and why do they seem to come together so so much in the Ryder Cup? Is I mean I, I had a theory on this a while ago. Um, I've played on both tours and. When you go to a European Tour event, you stay at the same hotel as all the other guys, you catch the bus with all the other guys to the to the course and you eat in the same restaurant, so you get to know the guys really well. So there's a very tight bond amongst all the players, and it doesn't matter if you're Swedish, Spanish, English, Australian, whatever, uh, everyone you know knows each other quite intimately uh, and and they form some very, very deep friendships. Here in the United States, you know, I've played over here a lot. The first thing they give you when you go to a golf tournament is is they give you a brand new car for the week and you can go and stay wherever you want. So you very rarely see the same guys uh, that you're playing the tournament with um, off the golf course. So, you know, the the friendships level probably isn't quite there. I'm sure through junior golf and college golf, there is some, you know, relationships that develop, like a, a Justin Thomas and a Jordan Spieth and you know Ricky Fowler and those sorts of guys where they where they do get along very well, but it doesn't run as deep as in Europe and and the passion and you can you can see it you know when they play, a lot of the guys are best friends out there. I mean Molinari and uh, and Fleetwood. I mean who would have thought those two guys would be best mates? But you know you you see when when they play together, it was just a, an amazing combination that was going to be really hard to beat. Um, the other thing, you know, that really did not play in the favour of the Americans this year, and which was really disappointing when I, you know, saw it and, and knew about the fact that it happened, was there was only one of the Americans that went across to play the French Open, and funnily enough, it was their best player, Justin Thomas. He he played the French Open this year, and he earned the most points. No other American player played in that tournament, and. You know, they say, yeah, we had our practice rounds and all that, but playing a practice round and playing competitive golf on a golf course is two completely different things. So, I think they kind of screwed up a little bit there. And um, I would have, if I was the captain, I would have had everyone, if possible, playing that French Open that year. I mean, I mean you're not going to get every all the guys, but if you can get two thirds of the guys to go over and play, you make a huge difference in the event, I think.
1: And Nick, you played in the President's Cup before. Is there something that the international team can learn from the European team to become more competitive in the President's Cup?
0: It, again, it's, it's a tough one. Um, as far as the, the gelling part of it, I think uh, the international team, when I played, there was probably four Australians, three or four South Africans, um, yeah, Fijian, Argentinian, Korean, Japanese, those sorts of – so there's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and we kind of, you know, the Aussies tend to play together. I ended up playing with Tim Clark, uh, South African, but we we got on really well. It's, it's just not, not quite the same for some reason. Um, you know, I can't, it's hard to put a finger on what it is. And unfortunately, the, the international team keeps getting hammered <laughs> in the President's Cup. But I think this year will be different. Um, or oh, sorry, the, the, the next President's Cup will be different because it is back in Australia and that's a completely different golf course to what the Americans are used to. Uh, I think the South Africans and the Australians, hopefully there's going to be a lot of them on the team because they will play really well down there because they they know that style of course and they know those conditions. Um you know, if I was captain I'd I'd pick mostly Aussies to be honest because that that golf course is um is very unique and and if you've grown up playing it you know how to play it and it's a huge advantage so But overall, as far as the other President's Cups go, it's a a tough one to put a finger on. The Americans just seem to gel really well there, and you put them against Europe, and it kind of goes the opposite way. It's very strange.
1: And Nick, like I mentioned in your intro... You beat Tiger Woods twice in the World Golf Match Play event in 2005, again in '07, and Tiger struggles hard when uh, when he plays in the Ryder Cup outside of uh, on a, in the uh, Sunday individual matches. But as you mentioned to me last time you joined me on the show, the key to beating Tiger is to get up on him early because he rarely comes back you know from behind to win. So when you've been playing him and you've gotten that early lead on him, is there something that you recognize in in his play from that point on? Does he become more fidgety? Does he be you know start to press too hard? Does he lose focus a little bit? What do you see when after you got up on Tiger that allowed you to you know continue on and win and not let him come from behind to beat you? Oh yeah,
0: no, I only played him twice in the match play, and and was fortunate. Just you know, as you said, it you can't get behind to the guy. Uh, if you do, it's it's not it's not all over and dusted, but it's a, it's a really tough thing to come back from. And and with Tiger, you know, my theory was that well, he's won every major uh, when he's either led uh, going into the last round or being tied for the lead. So. For me I knew if I fell behind, uh it was it was kinda like the last round of a major to me, so to speak. So I just knew that I uh, that I had to get ahead and and trying to keep the foot down. So easier said than done obviously. Uh the first time I just played really well and I was you know, it didn't matter who played against me, I was gonna be tough to beat. The second time he he got off to a bad start. Um, you know, I was winning holes with pars quite regularly, so I was fortunate there and then all of a sudden he found his game, you know, through the back nine and, and came back and we ended up going extra holes but Probably the thing I'm most proud of is I was never behind in two matches to Tiger Woods, so that's a pretty cool thing to say, I suppose. But uh, as far as you know, him in the Ryder Cup, and he's he had some some disappointing uh, you know results, I guess, over the years. Uh, I think he puts so much focus into the, the individual aspect that the team aspect maybe just doesn't quite gel with him. So uh, it's a funny one, you know. It's match play, and anything can happen. You can win shooting 75, or you can lose shooting 65. So. You just go out there, do your best, and, and the cards fall where they may.
1: Nick, you played with Justin Rose when he was very young in his career. So you've sort of seen him rise from being a kid who struggled just to make cuts to very recently being the number one player in the world. He's currently two, but we saw him get to number one this year. Talk about watching him and the growth of his game over the years.
0: Oh, It's just been an incredible rise. I mean, I played with him when he was a seven, well, not 17, probably 18-year-old. You know, back on the European tour, and he missed 21 cuts in a row, and you just knew that this kid had some uh, had some ability, and that he was going to really go a long way in the game. But it was just a matter of time. He was very, very young, obviously at that point, point. Um, and he's just a, a lovely guy. Um, no two ways about it. He works hard. He's got a phenomenal talent, and it was just a matter of time, really. And obviously, since he's been working with Sean Foley, he's just done some amazing things swing wise. So, uh, you know, he's he's got the complete game now, and And uh, it's just, it's a treat to see him just uh, go from strength to strength. And he was number one in the world briefly, obviously, but uh, he'll be up there for a very long time. I mean, he's just such a quality player and a a hell of a guy.
1: Nick, not long ago, you did a workshop with the guys out on the uh, Washington State golf team. Curious to get your thoughts. What are some of the things that you want to share when you're meeting with young players like that at the college level? Um,
0: it's it's interesting, you know, you, you go to these college, uh, I, I go to colleges every now and then and, and do these workshops and, and you stand there on the range and you watch them hit balls and you think, wow, this is this is pretty impressive. They all, you know, could be playing on tour or some sort of, at some sort of professional level. But what I try and show them is more that, you know, the game isn't all about the golf swing and it's not about... Um, you know, looking pretty, it's about getting the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes possible. So, you know, the art of the game really is thinking your way around the golf course. Uh, how do you play each hole strategically? How do you get the most out of every practice session? Um, short game, really, wedges, you know, that's a huge thing in this game, I think. And, and, uh, yeah, just trying to give them a, a different perspective. One of my favorite things to do with college guys these days is to say, well, okay, we're going to play nine holes where, uh, you don't use yardages and, and they always look at me funny going, well, really? Um, how will I know what club to use? And <laughs> so, you know, to, to begin with, it's like, well, you got to figure that out and feel it. And, uh, after a while, they, uh, you know, their, their, their sense of touch and their feel really improves. And the other thing that happens is they tend to be very indecisive to begin with because, you know, they don't really know if they've got the right club in their hands. So after a while, what tends to happen is they have to commit to every shot and, and then they start hitting good shots again. So, And at the end of nine holes, you know, they really kind of say, well, I don't really need the outages, do I? Because I'm pin high all the time. So it's a funny game that way. It's a bit old school, if you like.
1: Nick, just a couple more before we let you go. And and you turned 47 back on October 18th. So first of all, happy belated birthday. Champions Tour seems like it's just over the horizon for you. Are are we going to get to see you play out there in a few years?
0: Uh, Possibly, yeah. It's It's a tough tour to get on, of what I've heard. Uh, Q School was pretty hard, so, you know, I'm keeping my game in shape. I'm heading down to Australia on Sunday, actually, to go to play two tournaments, New South Wales Open and the Australian Open. I, I don't really play anymore. I just uh, I coach and mentor young players now, So, but I love to go down and play those events. So I'm keeping my game in decent shape, and, um, you know, in a few years' time, I'll, I'll see where I'm at, and, uh, you know, maybe I can make hay while the sun shines out on the Champions Tour, who knows? But I think getting on that tour is the hardest part, and once you're out there, you can have a bit of fun.
1: Nick, you've got a wonderful book titled "Tour Mentality: Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro," which uh, our listeners can go online and find it on Amazon.com. But uh, remind our readers about some of the things that they'll find in your book.
0: Well, it's just—it's more about um, you know how to think your way around the golf course and how to shoot the lowest course uh, score possible. Um, I think people get too caught up in technique these days, and what I've found is. There's more than one way to get the ball in the hole. That's the biggest thing. And I think most people, you know, when they try and improve their golf games, they think about their golf swing and making changes. But what usually happens there is they get worse before they get better. So if you can just make two better decisions on a golf course, that usually adds up to three or four strokes. So you can lower your scores really easily just by thinking better. And the book is all about uh, how I did it over the years, you know, some structure and some processes to really help the average golfer um, just think better out in the golf course and, and make it a bit more enjoyable and more fun. And then there's also some sections in there about how to practice and, and how to get the most out of every session. You know, I get asked a lot from people about, well, how should I practice? So I, I dedicated about a third of the book to that because... um because that's a really important part of the game, I think, is you want to go to bed at night better than when you woke up that morning. So how do you how do you do that and how do you structure that? So there's, a, there's quite a bit of detail on that. And uh, at the end of the day, you're just trying to help people uh, improve. And, you know, sometimes the mind of a tour pro is a scary place. So hopefully I haven't scared too many people <laughs> off of it.
1: Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight and coming back and uh, sharing more of your stories and insights with us. Let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media?
0: Yeah, I, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I have a website, com. Um, but I'm not a real, you know, publicity kind of guy. But you can get on there and you follow follow some stuff that I'm doing these days. Uh, as I said, I'll be down in Australia the next couple of weeks, having a bit of fun down there. But uh, the best place to go is the website nickahern.com, and, and you'll see it all on there.
1: Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we can uh, get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. always enjoy listening to your insights and uh, and sitting back and hearing some of the stories from your days being out on tour. Hope we get the opportunity to do it again soon. Thanks,
0: Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything. Cheers. Cheers to you. Take
1: care. Best of luck down in Australia. Thank you. Bye. That is Nick O'Hearn. The uh, title of his book is Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro. You can find it out on Amazon.com, and it's uh, NickOhearn.com. And O'Hearn, the last part of O'Hearn, is H-E-R-N, so NickOhearn.com. Great stuff. Look forward to having Nick back on the show. This
0: morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Matt Wilburn's watch.